Chapter 9 of The Pot Hunters by P. G. Woodhouse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pot Hunters by P. G. Woodhouse. Chapter 9 Enter the Sleuth Hound. I'm awfully sorry, he said, disentangling himself carefully from the heap. I hope you're not hurt. The man did not reply for a moment. He appeared to be laying the question before himself as an impartial judge, as one who should say, Now tell me candidly, are you hurt? Speak freely and without bias. No, he said at last, feeling his left leg as if he were not absolutely easy in his mind about that. No, not hurt, thank you. Not much, that is he added, with the air of one who thinks it best to qualify too positive a statement. Left leg, shin, slight bruise, nothing to signify. It was a rotten thing to do, jumping over into the road like that, said Barrett. Didn't remember there'd be such a big drop. My fault, in a way, said the man, riding wrong side of road. Out for a run? More or less excellent thing yes it occurred to barrett that it was only due to the man on whom he had been rolling to tell him the true facts of the case besides it might do something towards removing the impression which must he felt be forming in the stranger's mind that he was mad you see he said in a burst of confidence it was rather a close thing there were some keepers after me ah said the man thought so trespassing yes ah keepers don't like trespassers curious thing don't know if it ever occurred to you if there were no trespassers there would be no need for keepers to their interests then to encourage trespassers but do they barrett admitted that they did not very conspicuously no same with all professions not poaching i suppose rather not i was after eggs by jove that reminds me he felt in his pocket for the pill-boxes could they have survived the stormy times through which they had been passing he heaved a sigh of relief as he saw that the eggs were uninjured he was so intent on examining them that he missed the stranger's next remark sorry what i didn't hear asked if i was going right for st austin school college said barrett with a convulsive shudder the most deadly error mortal man can make with the exception of calling a school a college is to call a college a school college said the man is this the road yes you can't miss it i'm going there myself it's only about a mile ah said the man with a touch of satisfaction in his voice going there yourself are you perhaps you're one of the scholars not much said barrett ask our formbeek if i'm a scholar oh i see yes i'm there all right barrett was a little puzzled as to how to class his companion no old public schoolman would talk of scholars and yet he was emphatically not a bargee barrett set him down as a sort of superior tourist a henry as opposed to an airy been bit of a disturbance there hasn't there cricket pavilion cups 
Rather, but how on earth? How on earth did I get to hear of it, you were going to say? Well, no need to conceal anything. Fact is, down here to look into the matter. Detective, name Roberts, Scotland Yard. Now we know each other, and if you can tell me one or two things about this burglary, it would be a great help to me, and I should be very much obliged. Barrett had heard that a detective was coming down to look into the affair of the cups. His position was rather a difficult one. In a sense, it was simple enough. He had found the cups. He could, keepers permitting, go and fetch them now, and there would... No, there would not be an end of the matter. It would be very pleasant, exceedingly pleasant, to go to the headmaster and the detective and present the cups to them with a bless-you-my-children air. The headmaster would say, Barrett, you're a marvel. How can I thank you sufficiently? while the detective would observe that he had been in the profession over twenty years, but never had he seen so remarkable an exhibition of sagacity and acumen as this. That, at least, was what ought to take place. But Barrett's experience of life, short as it was, had taught him the difference between the ideal and the real. The real, he suspected, would in this case be painful certain facts would come to light when had he found the cups about four in the afternoon oh roll-call took place at four in the afternoon how came it that he was not at roll-call furthermore how came it that he was marked on the list as having answered his name at that ceremony where had he found the cups in a hollow tree just so where was the hollow tree in sir alfred venner's woods did he know that Sir Alfred Venner's woods were out of bounds? Did he know that, in consequence of complaints from Sir Alfred Venner, Sir Alfred Venner's woods were more out of bounds than any other out-of-bounds woods in the entire county that did not belong to Sir Alfred Venner? He did. Ah! No, the word for his guidance in this emergency, he felt instinctively, was mum. Time might provide him with a solution. He might, for instance, abstract the cups secretly from their resting place, place them in the middle of the football field, and find them there dramatically after morning school. Or he might reveal his secret from the carriage window as his train moved out of the station on the first day of the holidays. There was certain to be some way out of the difficulty, but for the present, silence. He answered his companion's questions freely, however. Of the actual burglary, he knew no more than any other member of the school, considerably less indeed than Jim Thompson of Mirvale's, at present staggering under the weight of a secret even more gigantic than Barrett's own. In return for his information, he extracted sundry reminiscences. The scar on the detective's cheekbone, barely visible now, was the mark of a bullet which a certain burglar named, singularly enough, Roberts, had fired at him from a distance of five yards. The gentleman in question, who the detective hastened to inform Barrett, was no relation of his, though owning the same name, happened to be a poor marksman and only scored a bad outer, assuming the detective's face to have been the bull. 
He also turned up his cuff to show a larger scar. This was another testimonial from the burglar world. A Kensington practitioner had had the bad taste to bite off a piece of that part of the detective. In short, Barrett enlarged his knowledge of the seamy side of things considerably in the mile of road which had to be traversed before St. Austin's appeared in sight. The two parted at the big gates, Barrett going in the direction of Philpott's, the detective wheeling his machine towards the porter's lodge. Barrett's condition when he turned in at Philpott's door was critical. He was so inflated with news that any attempt to keep it in might have serious results. Certainly he could not sleep that night in such a bomb-like state. It was thus that he broke in upon Reed. Reed had passed an absurdly useless afternoon. He had not stirred from the study. For all that it would have mattered to him, it might have been raining hard the whole afternoon, instead of being, as it had been, the finest afternoon of the whole term. In a word, and not to put too fine a point on the matter, he had been frousting, and consequently was feeling dull and sleepy, and generally undervitalized and futile. Barrett entered the study with a rush, and was carried away by excitement to such an extent that he addressed Reed as if the deadly feud between them not only did not exist, but never had existed. I say, Reed, heave that beastly book away. My aunt, I have had an afternoon of it. Oh, said Reed politely. Where did you go? After eggs in the dingle. Reed was fairly startled out of his dignified reserve. For the first time since they had had their little difference, he addressed Barrett in a sensible manner. You idiot, he said. Don't see it. The dingle's just the place to spend a happy day, like Rosherville. Jove, it's worth going there. You should see the birds. Place is black with them. How about keepers? See any? Did I not? Three of them chased me like good uns all over the place. You got away all right, though. Only just. I say, do you know what happened? You know that rotter Plunkett? Used to be a day boy, head of wards now, wears specs. Yes. Well, just as I was almost out of the wood, I jumped a bush and landed right on top of him. The man was asleep or something. Fancy choosing the dingle of all places to sleep in, where you can't go a couple of yards without running into a keeper. He hadn't even the sense to run. I yelled to him to look out, and then I hooked it myself. And then the nearest keeper, who'd just come down a buster over a rabbit hole, sailed in and had him. I couldn't do anything, of course. Jove, there'll be a fair-sized row about this. The old man's on to trespassing like tar. I say, think Plunkett'll say anything about you being there, too? Shouldn't think so. For one thing, I don't think he recognized me. Probably doesn't know me by sight, and he was fast asleep, too. No, I fancy I'm all right. Well, it was a jolly narrow shave. Anything else happen? Anything else? Just a bit. That's to say, no, nothing much else. No. Now then, said Reed briskly, none of your beastly mysteries. Out with it. Look here, swear you'll keep it dark. Of course I will. 
on your word of honor? If you think, began Reed in an offended voice. No, it's all right. Don't get shirty. The thing is, though, it's so frightfully important to keep it dark. Well, buck up. Well, you needn't believe me, of course, but I've found the pots. Reed gasped. What? he cried. The pot for the quarter? And the one for the hundred yards. Both of them. It's a fact. But where? How? What have you done with them? Barrett unfolded his tale concisely. You see, he concluded, what a hole I'm in. I can't tell the old man anything about it, or I get booked for cutting roll call and going out of bounds. And then, while I'm waiting and wondering what to do and all that, the thief, whoever he is, will most likely go off with the pots. What do you think I ought to do? Reed perpended. Well, he said, all you can do is to lie low and trust to luck, as far as I can see. Besides, there's one consolation. This plunket business will make every keeper in the dingle twice as keen after trespassers, so the potman won't get a chance of getting the things away. Yes, there's something in that, admitted Barrett. It's all you can do, said Reed. Yes, unless I wrote an anonymous letter to the old man explaining things. How would that do? Do for you, probably. Anonymous letters always get traced to the person who wrote them, or pretty nearly always. No, you simply lie low. Right, said Barrett, I will. The process of concealing one's superior knowledge is very irritating. So irritating, indeed, that very few people do it. Barrett, however, was obliged to by necessity. He had a good chance of displaying his abilities in that direction when he met Gray the next morning. Hello, said Gray. Have a good time yesterday? Not bad. I've got an egg for you. Good man. What sort? Hanged if I know. I know you haven't got it, though. Thanks awfully. See anything of the million keepers? Heard them oftener than I saw them. They didn't book you? Rather fancy one of them saw me, but I got away all right. Find the place pretty lively? Pretty fair. Stay there long? Not very. No, thought you wouldn't. What do you say to a small ice? There's time before school. Thanks. Are you flush? Flush isn't the word for it. I'm a plutocrat. Uncle came out fairly strong, then? Rather, to the tune of one sovereign, cash. He's a jolly good sort, my uncle. So it seems, said Barrett. The meeting then adjourned to the school shop, Barrett enjoying his ice all the more, for the thought that his secret still was a secret, a thing which it would in all probability have ceased to be had he been rash enough to confide it to K. St. H. Gray, who, whatever his other merits, was very far from being the safest sort of confidant. His usual practice was to speak first and to think, if at all, afterwards. End of chapter 9